Do I even need to say where we need to turn to at this point? If you're brand new with us, uh, Book of Romans, uh, we are in chapter 8, and uh, we'll be in chapter 8 for a little bit longer. Uh, Today we'll make some headway as far as number of verses, but uh, we have a ways to go following this, Lord willing. Romans chapter 8, thank you for being here. Let me begin by saying this, I believe with all of my heart, the Christian life is the best life going. I really, I believe that. Uh, you say, Jeff, well you got saved when you was nine years old, you really didn't try the other life that much, you didn't really get out there and see what it's about. I'll grant you that, I was saved uh, very early, I uh, didn't get into a lot of things that Some of you have been into, I don't say this in any bragging way, God spared me. Uh, I've I've never, unless you count NyQuil, uh, I've never taken a drink of alcohol or anything like that. And that's just, I've never been addicted to that. I've had some other struggles, a lot of struggles, uh, plenty of sin in my life. Uh, But some of the things that people would say is uh, the good worldly way and boy, I missed out. Well, some of you sitting here this morning, you lived that life for a long time. And then you became a Christian and you wouldn't go back if you could. It's the best life going, the Christian life. But I say that for this reason. We would absolutely be lying to ourselves and everyone around us if we pretended for a moment that the Christian life does not have struggles and grief and sorrow and pain. That would be a lie. So I'm going to get you guys to participate with, participate with me for a moment by raised hand if this affects you. I'm going to ask a few questions. Some of you will sit there and you won't raise your hand at all because these don't affect you. Others of you will raise your hand multiple times. Here we go. Raise your hand if you wear glasses or contacts. Now, right now, you've never, most of us, uh, I, you've not seen me in a pair of glasses, or, and I don't wear contacts, unless you see me reading privately, and I've hit that age now where I do have to use reading glasses, and somebody keeps shrinking my Bible <laughs> font. And I can only get so much bigger on my, uh, I'm up to 16 bold Ariel here on my notes. Um, hey, raise your hand if you've used an ointment for sore muscles in the last month or pain medicine, specifically pain medicine, over half of you. Uh, raise your hand if in the last year you've been frustrated with a lawn or garden. Lawn, you had some frustration. My hand's up. Uh, we had something growing in our backyard. Honestly, our little dog, bless his heart, has to walk around the outside of the fence and then go through to the middle of the yard to use the restroom. Uh, but there's something there, and when you walk barefoot, it, little bitty things. It's something. I'm hoping I can attack it in December, but I was kind of led to believe you're wasting your time to try to do anything before December. Real gnarly, nasty-looking thing. I've got a picture of it over on my phone. Uh, it's just there. Uh, we, we lost that battle. Hopefully we can get it back. Uh, raise your hand if you've had an operation. You've been put to sleep in the last year. Anybody like that? That will be a smaller number. I knew about that one. A few. Wow, more than I thought. Uh, that'll look like eight or ten. Maybe more than that. Uh, raise your hand if in the last month you've colored your gray hair. No, don't. Don't do that. Don't answer that one. I'm sorry. We'll check that one. And I will not have you raise your hand on this one on a more serious note. I know that several of you have buried a loved one in the last year to two years. Uh, I mean, not just any person, uh, someone very close, and that affects a lot of you. So, Jeff, why are you saying that? Last week's passage and the one before that said, if you've ever put your faith and trust in Jesus, you became the adopted child of God. And last week, we took it further, verse 17 says, if you are, again, here's the key, you had to have put your faith and trust in the only begotten, one and only, the one and only Son of God by nature, but if you'll put your faith in what He did on the cross, then you get to be the Son of God or the daughter of God, the child of God by adoption. And if that's the case, you are an heir of God. Everything God owns, everything God possesses, you are going to possess, you're going to have that. All right. Now that... Child status, as we head into our first note here, that child status as a child of God is sure, it is certain, it can never be touched, but the full inheritance of that, the full inheritance of that, as we're about to read this morning, 
is yet to be revealed to us. We're not fully enjoying that. And I think that was our first note, I believe. Um, again, child status is sure and certain, but our full in- inheritance is not yet realized. You say, Jeff, what do you mean here? Until we go to the Lord in death, or another option that we'll talk about later, that we're hoping for, we're going to keep suffering. We ended last week's passage where we're going to begin this morning, verse number 18. So if you would, we're going to read verses 18 to 25 today, and we're going to keep it real. The Bible keeps it real for us, verse 18. I'll make some comments along the way to set the stage. I, I don't want to compete with the Scripture I hope this brings clarification. Uh, If you're listening on a recording, you may not be able to see when I'm adding, but if you're here with us this morning, you should hopefully be able to see the Word of God. So let's go. Verse 18, Paul says, For I consider. Consider means he's really thought about this. He's contemplated it. I mean, he's rehearsed it mentally, even out loud. Contemplated, contemplated. He's reached a final conclusion that is sure and certain. He's not going to move from it. So here he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God himself is telling Paul what to write. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings, Christian life's the best life going, but it still has sufferings. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Catch that. There's this glory that's going to be revealed to us. That's going to be a little different than a couple of verses from now. This is obviously talking about possibly the glory of heaven, but really it's the glory of God is going to be revealed to us. Notice Paul is not saying the suffering here is not a great comparison. It's, it's, not, it's not quite as, what he's saying is there's no comparison. All the suffering, you say, Jeff, it's really bad. I'm in a really bad time. It's difficult. I'm crying every night lately. I understand. We will all go through that. Many of you are not there. Some of you have been there. You're not there now. Some of you are there right now. Not a day goes by but that you cry and you're like, this is just so heavy. What he's saying is, when we get there and we look back and we see the glory that's going to be revealed to us, it's not that it wasn't a great comparison. There's no comparison. The glory so far outweighs the suffering. Verse 19. For the creation, for the creation waits With eager longing. Picture this. The creation, the idea in a minute, he's going to use the idea of the whole creation. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So the creation is waiting for when when is this going to be revealed. There's these children of God. And hopefully you know by faith, have a Bible reason that you are a child of God. Well, the creation is waiting for that to be made clear. Who are the children of God? When are the children going to be made known? When is it going to be revealed? Verse 19. Why is the creation waiting so eagerly? For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. The creation had no choice. This was done to the creation. Because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Earlier we're talking about the glory to be revealed to us. This appears to be talking about something different. We're going to have our own glory. Verse 21. I'm sorry, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This was written in AD 56, roughly around that time period, and it's still been groaning from then even until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the whole thing, we spent three weeks talking about what the Holy Spirit does as He comes into believers. Well, what about us? Well, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Oh, so we're not adopted yet. Hold on. As we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
For in this hope we were saved. You were saved into this hope. Whether you knew it or not, you say, I just didn't want to go to hell. I got saved. I put my faith in Jesus because I didn't want to go to hell. Well, guess what? When you did that, this goes with it. You were saved into this hope that he's talking about. For who hopes for what he sees? Who hopes for what he sees? I didn't come here. I'm not going to stand here today and say, boy, I hope Chris comes to church today and leads worship music. I don't need to hope that. It's already happened, right? So now verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The idea, patient endurance, perseverance. We keep waiting with patience, long-suffering Holding on. Three things from our text today. I don't know why. It seems like this, this is not a hard outline. Uh, this one was pretty easy. If you guys read this passage about ten times yourself, you'd say, well, here's an obvious point. Here's another obvious point. Boy, those are depressing. Thankfully, there's going to be a third point. I'm going to depress you a bit with the first two points. Just warning you, okay? Three things in our text. Number one, we see the groaning of the creation. The groaning of the creation. Verse 22 says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. The whole creation has been groaning together. But as you have your Bible open, I specifically want to point your attention to verse 20. Would you look back at verse 20 and 21 again? The Bible says, For the creation, watch this, was subjected. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free. Those of you who are good grammarians, I'm not going to put Danielle on the spot. You do. Yours is English, right? She knows what voice this is in, right? So the whole creation was subjected. The whole creation is longing to be set free. That's passive. That's passive. That means creation is not doing the activity. It's not subjecting itself. Creation is not going to free itself. It was subjected. It will be set free. Say, Jeff, what's your point? I want you to get two things right quick. You got to get this. This is obvious. Watch. You should see immediately the sovereignty of God. And you should see this. Creation seems to be connected with us. God is sovereign over creation. And apparently, creation is connected to man. It's as though God makes all this creation, and the last thing he does, he makes mankind and plops him in the middle of that. Creation is made for the glory of God, but he also makes it with us in mind, and it's like for us. And so when we went down, creation had to pay for it. So if you want to write this down, here's a quick thought out of verse 20. Creation is not at fault for being cursed. It's not the fault of creation that it is cursed. Creation is cursed by God for Adam's sin. Look, if you would, Genesis chapter 3, verse number 17, I believe it comes up. Genesis chapter 3. And to Adam he, God said, Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And then he goes on and talks about how the creation is going to yield thorns and thistles. And he talks about the sweat that mankind's going to have to put into his work. It's not going to be like before. So again, creation did nothing wrong. And creation gets cursed because of Adam's sin. You say, well, why in the world are we paying for all of this? Because remember in Romans 5, we were in Adam. You were in him. Our federal head, he represented us. But seminally... In his, in his loins, we were there too. We sinned when he sinned. And then there's the creation that is attached to us that goes down as we went down. And it'll rise because of the second federal head of the human race, Jesus Christ and his righteousness. We have weeks like last Sunday, right? Was, I think it was last Sunday night, Las Vegas. And I actually heard someone this week almost regretfully referring to an anticipated encounter with someone who sounded like a God denier. They were anticipating this question because it usually comes up. Modern man asks these things. Why do bad things happen? And bad things would be things like Las Vegas and plenty of other. And please understand... That's horrific what happened and it's devastating. But the question is usually asked, see? It, here's what they usually mean. Now some honestly just wonder, why did this bad thing happen? 
Why do these bad things keep happening? They don't know. But others view it this way. See, if there's a God, why do these bad things keep happening? They ask the question as though, see, this is evidence there is no God, right? Now here's what's sad. Here's what frustrates me. Is the church, and by the church I mean us as individuals, we go out and we live among that and we act like we don't know the answer. That's what's sad. You say, well, Jeff, I had somebody ask me that this week. I didn't know the answer. Do you not know the answer? So it's like the church, sometimes we don't know how to answer that question, or I think this happens a lot. We know the answer. But boy, we just live in a politically correct society, and it might, your job, I'm like the only believer, and they already think I'm a wacko, and so I don't want to say, or you think I'm afraid how it will make God look, and so I don't really want to answer how I think the answer is. So if you're saying, yeah, well, Jeff, why do these quote-unquote bad things? And oh, by the way, we also water the question down even further. Some say, to good people, to good people. Let me tell you why. Two reasons, ready? God is holy. And God hates sin. God is holy. Now don't just let that roll off and go, okay, yeah, yeah, right. But why do bad things keep happening? God is holy. He cannot tolerate. He can't tolerate sin. He doesn't just hate it. He can't tolerate it. But it doesn't stop there. God is just. He's just. He's so just. He must punish sin. We've said it before. If there was a judge who let known criminals, tons of evidence, and he just let them go free, murderers go free, all the evidence against them, we would not say that's a just judge, but that's how our world wants to look at God. God, why does he do this? Okay, he doesn't like sin, but just let it be. No, he's not a just God if he doesn't punish sin. That's why these things happen. Because God cursed all of creation because of Adam's sin and our sin, but he did it in hope, according to verse 20. Got to catch the last two words. Yes, he subjected it. Some people say, well, the devil put the curse on us. Or Adam, Adam put the curse on the creation. No, he didn't. God put the curse on creation because of Adam's sin. Adam caused it, and then God caused it because of what Adam did. The Bible is clear on that. But God does it in hope, according to verse 20. God's hope, please hear me. Some of you will be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Others of you, unfortunately, I hope this doesn't happen. You're going to get a tune in your head and you're going to battle it for the rest of the service. But I'm going to take the chance. Maybe it won't. God's hope is not what John Lennon wrote dreamingly of and what the Beatles sang about when he encouraged us to imagine, right? Just imagine. And labeled as a deep-thinking writer, he tells you, catch this, imagine there's no heaven above. Imagine. No heaven. And there's no hell beneath us. And there's no religions. And there's no nations to argue and fight. Did you catch that? Imagine, in essence, there's no God There's no nations, no boundaries, no fighting and vying and this is mine and just, you know, everybody getting along. Imagine there's no heaven. Hey, I like that part. But there's no hell. In essence, no God, no religions, no nations. Here's what he's saying. In essence, if mankind, if we could two things, be left alone and get along, everything will be great. Just imagine. And I'm not the only one. Call me a dreamer. But I'm not the only one. In essence, join me in imagining this wonderful world. Here's the only problem with that, guys. I don't want to settle for imagining that kind of world. You say, Jeff, why not? Take away God. Take away heaven. Take away hell. Take away the religions. Take away the nations. Here's what you're left with. A lot of pain and a lot of suffering. And the death rate would still be 100%. You understand that? Oh, no, 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 Jeff. We're not killing each other anymore. The death rate is still 100%. God subjected creation to futility in hope for something way better than what he was pumping out in the 60s. Way better. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. Here we go. Here we go. So, Jeff, what's futility? Futility means this. Watch. Frustration. Emptiness. 
pointlessness, purposelessness. I, I think of this word, it's what, it's what Solomon was talking about in the book of Ecclesiastes, a very difficult book. Solomon, thinking as a worldly wise man, looks and he says, you know, in essence, you know what everything looks like? Just step back and watch it all. It looks like pointlessness, purposelessness. It's like, and, and we love the little hamster in the wheel. Some of it, Does anybody here have a hamster? Raise your hand if you have a hamster. Anybody? So we, we love, got the little hamster and he's going for it, right? But he never goes anywhere. Right? He's not powering your electric bill at the house, so he's doing nothing. Maybe he's even learned, oh, here they come. There, I'm, let me hop in the wheel. They apparently like to watch me go for it in the wheel. So a lot of effort, but it's purposelessness. That's futility. Watch this. Yeah, there's birth. And there was a day in January 2nd, 1970, Hey, did you hear about Charles and Louise? Yeah, they had a little boy. Yeah, what are they going to name him? I think, what was it? This? I, think, I think Jeff. Okay, yeah. He's born. She's born. Watch that. They're growing. Look, they're walking. They're talking. Look, they're growing. Look how big. And here's what we do. There's birth and there's growth. And they start producing and they're dating. Oh, now they're getting married. Did you hear? They have their own little one. They're reproducing. It sounds great. See, there's purpose. Here's the problem. From very beginning, from birth, it's struggle, struggle, frustration, decay, corruption. In fact, the word corruption, verse number 21, if you want to write it down, here's what it means. The universe is running down. The universe is in bondage to corruption. The universe is running down. I could tell it, tell it to you this way. Disorder is the order of the day. I'm not a scientist, and I know as soon as I say that, that's being honest. Believe me, I'm not a scientist. And some immediately are going to discredit everything I'm about to say because I'm not a scientist, as though they are, because they've read some or whatever. But I'm gonna, here's, what, here's what we do know. Can I give you, here's what we do know. There's this thing called entropy. And it's real. So my, just the other day, we were looking out here, and we were looking at one of these houses over here, and some of the, the flashing on the side was gone. And I said, that right there is an example of entropy. You say, what is entropy? The tendency toward disorder in nature. It is the opposite of evolution. See, what I want to tell you is you're not going to go home today in your yard suddenly. Honey, look, it looks like Disney World, or it looks like the Opry, Opryland Hotel broke out in our yard. Chance, random processes happened while we were at church. And this, our yard looks like Disney World. This is awesome. That is never going to happen. I promise you. I'll tell you what will happen. Weeds are going to take over unless you intentionally go after them. Why? That's what we see. Disorder. Frustration. Purposelessness, it seems like. Why do I keep fighting this? Creation groans. Why? Stars, I believe this is intended. The stars, the planets, the plants, the animals, fallen man, we all groan. Why? Because we're accurately described by the words used in the text. Futility, bondage, corruption, pain. Listen. Actually, I can't let you in here and leave you here. But if you were here like I am sometimes at night and it's real quiet, you hear noises in the building. And it's not the demons running around. And it's not the heat and air. I know the difference between the heat and the air. It's just little popping. You say, what in the world is that? This building groans. It's settling. Give enough time, this sheetrock's going to start cracking and the bricks are going to crack and your house is going to do the same thing. Left to itself. Why? The building groans. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, you're sitting near someone. If you'll listen, you will hear, don't be offended, and a little bit older person moan or groan before this service is over. You say, why is that? Because they're sitting too long. You say, well, what happens after that? They're going to groan because they're sitting. They're going to groan because they move. No matter what, they're going to groan. They're going to... The weary gasp and sigh. Some of you are getting like me. I've literally noticed this about myself lately. I'm sighing more often than earlier in the day. I've been up 20 minutes and... It's like, what is that? You've been up 20... Already... The creation groans. While you're sitting there right now somewhere in the Brazilian jungles, armies of ants are attacking each other to the death. To the death. 
Wildfires are burning around the world. Hospitals are overflowing. Animals, birds, fish, and insects are hunting each other. Animals are hunting each other. Animals are hunting birds. Birds are hunting fish. Birds are hunting each other. Birds are feasting on weakened animals. Fish are are hunting each other. That's why we use little small fish to catch bigger fish. They're hunting the insects, but the insects get them back because they attack us and they attack each other. It's like one big fight's going on out there. That's what Romans 8 is talking about. In the middle of it all, closer to us. I don't have time to develop this. I promise if you took one of these and you just let your mind go and think of all the pain and sorrow that comes out of even one of these things, mankind groans. Mental abuse, it's real. Physical abuse. Addiction. Somebody right now in Anderson, it is now 1127 or so. Right now someone's getting up and literally, while I'm saying it, they're going, oh. They feel horrible because of yesterday, last night. Divorce, mental illness, crime on top of crime, shootings as we saw in Las Vegas. The ravages of war, broken economies. Don't take that lightly. Just think about what do broken economies do in this world. Job layoffs causes moaning, groaning, slavery. You say, yeah, I heard that was really bad a long time ago. It still exists in the world. Starvation, earthquakes, that's the earth groaning, the earthquakes, hurricanes, drought, flooding, cancer, heart disease, obesity, old age, pains of childbirth, pain and labor in work, just trying to produce something, the sweat of the brow. It is endless. Verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning. What does this mean? Creation is groaning because it's underachieving. That's the key. We were made for more than this. Let the children come out. This is not our best. And you may be sitting here this morning saying, Jeff, I know some exceptions. I've been in some beautiful places. And maybe you're thinking of the Northeast Corridor this time of the year. Or maybe you're thinking of Canada or the Caribbean. Or maybe you're thinking of Ireland. Here's all I would answer to that. You think you found an exception? I would say, what could it have looked like? What could it have produced? Better yet, what will it produce? Number two. Not only the groaning of the creation, but the groaning of the Christian. I'll be brief here, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We. Oh, you mean humanity. You already covered that, Jeff. No, no, no. We. So Paul is real clear. We ourselves. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly. You know what Paul's saying? Christians are no exception to the rule when it comes to suffering. We have all the same frustrations. We're under the same curse. All the same things are going to happen to us. It's going to happen to the lost person. The only difference I would say is maybe we don't wallow in sin and continue to get the scars that come from wallowing in sin. But I'm going to tell you there's an added thing that Christians deal with for the very reason they are a Christian. So we're no exceptions. Thought of this, we're surrounded every day. And by the way, even in this auditorium, some of you younger people, your grandparents are still alive, and you look at them, you would have no idea. Listen, in their day, in this room, there's some people, there's a man, there's a woman, in their day, they were the beautiful person. He was the robust guy. And next time, I'm not saying all of them, but somebody in here, you have a grandmother that all you see is an older lady. But I'm telling you, in her time when she was in the room, people did double takes toward her. And the women thought, I'd like to look like her. And the men double checked her. But now you have no idea. And there are people here today and years ago who they were robust. Push-up contests, they're in and they win. Pull-ups, I'm in. Running, they're in. Hey, LeBron James is in his time. But I look and I see Bill Russell handing off the MVPs and the awards there at the championship games to whoever it may be. And I know good and well Bill Russell has to think, I could have guarded you back in my day. I could shut you down. I don't know. All I know is in about three, four years, if... LeBron James isn't going to be in his time, and I'm not picking on him. I'm just saying, we say, what happens? This is reality. We hate it, but our eyes grow dim. Here's reality, young people. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, most of us. Our skin wrinkles, our gum lines recede. Call it getting a little long on the tooth. That's what they call it up in the mountains of North Carolina. The hairline recedes. The hair turns gray. In some cases, turns loose. Not picking on my golf partner there. 
the other day. We hate it, don't we? But on a serious note, listen. He said, man, this is the most depressing message I think this guy's ever preached. I, I thought the one back in chapter 3, I remember that. And I'm like, oh boy. Well, listen. You're going to get really sick. And you're going to die. And that's reality. But a Christian groans inwardly. Why? Because we experience the same sorrow. We experience all the same losses that unbelievers. We go through all that aging and aches and pains and our loved ones die all the same. In fact, I would tell you on top of that, verse number 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who had the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. Why? I would tell you because we have the Spirit. Watch this. Unsafe person, they don't go through this, but Christian, you know what I'm talking about. We deal with an extra added frustration with sin and a dissatisfaction with sin. Sin never satisfies anyone, but particularly for a saved person, because here's what we have to deal with. We know our God hates our sin, but a part of me still does that and wants that, and I'm in this old body that has appetites, and the old sin nature still likes to use those appetites and pervert them and twist them, and next thing you know, I'm wanting what I should not want, and I give in, and I have to run back over here and confess. I will tell you that's a good sign if you have that battle, that frustration, that dissatisfaction with sin. And that's all the truth. But thankfully, that's not the last point today. Would you write this down? Not only the groaning of the creation, the groaning of the Christian, but we see the longing and hope of creation. You say, right, Jeff, longing and hope of the Christian. Oh, it's the creation, and the Christian's part of it. I'm going to specifically, I think you'll see a couple of verses already up there, But would you look, just glance. I'm here to tell you every verse in our text has hope. Every verse. You say, this is the most depressing message I've ever heard. Hang on, look at verse 18. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth worth comparing with the glory. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who, who subjected it in hope. Hope's in every verse. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. Even verse 22, but I'm going to come back there later. Look at verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first roots of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly. Verse 24 and 25 are full of hope. So lest anyone thinks those poor Christians, they get together each week and they basically deny the obvious. We don't deny the obvious. Well, they get together and they ignore the obvious. Let's ignore sorrow and pain and death. I would tell you Christianity and the Word of God in particular particular does not deny and it certainly doesn't ignore. We bring it up. We talk about it. I just spent two points on it. But I'll go further. The Bible tells us what caused it. Who caused it? When it began. This is key. How will it be cured? When will it all be removed? The Bible does that. The worldly version does not do that. The worldly version just acknowledges that the God-denying philosophy says, oh yeah, there's all these things. When did it start? We don't know. Why is it that way? We don't know. When's it going to go away? We don't know. And their solution is environmental control. Or if we'll just get along. I promise you that wouldn't fix anything. Doesn't tell where it came from. Doesn't tell what's going to bring it to an end. Doesn't tell what the cure is. Look at verse 19. There's this longing and hope of creation. You see verse 19? For the creation, I want you to catch a little word group, small little word group. Creation waits with eager longing. Waits with eager, eager longing. You guys have seen this multiple times. You've seen it. I saw it. Very well, about 16, 15, 16 years ago, we were, I think we were still in the old blue caravan, the old 88 caravan. And our kids were very, very young, and they're in their car seats, and we're finally, you know, uh, I think they had been to Disney World earlier than that, but then they're a little older now, and we had built it up, and some of you have been through the exact same thing, and we're on that road that has the big sign across the top, and it has Mickey and Minnie over on the sides, and of course, Deanna's pumping this up, and I'm driving, look kids, and here's what they do, they wait with eager longing. This phrase, here's what it means, they're craning their neck, they're stretching to get a glimpse of Mickey and Minnie, and this means we're really almost to Disney World. It's really happening. And I'm doing this and I'm looking back over the shoulder like I'm catching. What are they doing? They're doing what, what creation. Here's, here's my point. Creation right now. You don't know it. 
But creation is on its tiptoes going, when are the children going to be revealed? Come on. We're not producing like we're meant to. We want the curse lifted. When are the children going to be made known? You know why? Because right now, you can't tell by looking who's a Christian. Who's a true child of God? But what this verse, verse 19, is pointing to, you see the end of it? Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. This is talking about a specific event. There's going to be a specific event in which Jesus Christ will make known who are the true children of God and who are not. You say, Jeff, when is this event? It could happen before I finish this sermon. It'll be real clear. Who are the Christians and who are not? What we call the rapture. When Jesus Christ returns in the, in the heavens and those that are saved go up to be with the Lord and there's actually a group, all the dead the Christians who've died before us, their bodies will go up and we'll catch up with them. And you say, is that the only time? There's going to be another. That, that event will kick off the tribulation. Three and a half years will be tribulation. And the last three and a half years of that will be great tribulation, making seven years total. And after the battle of Armageddon, Jesus is going to have what's called the judgment of the nations. And he's going to have some that get to go into the millennial kingdom. And some are going to be put away for destruction. So these two events, but particularly the rapture, will make known who are the true children of God. And creation is longing for that yes kick it off so the second coming of Christ in two phases you know what the creation is longing for bring on the millennial kingdom and bring out the children we're ready would you hold your spot here flip over to 2nd Corinthians 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 it'll be on the screen but if you would I'd like you to mark it a little bit 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 Very similar to the Romans passage. Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, For we know that if, and he uses an analogy here, we know that if the tent, very temporary, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, that's the body you're living in now, here he's calling it a tent, We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building. You see the difference? There's a tent and there's a building from God. A house not made with hands. This house that I'm going to have is not going to come from Charles and Louise. It's not going to be man-made, man-descended. This is just a tent. So he says, when this one's destroyed, we know we have a building, a house Not made with hands. Eternal. In the heavens. It's going to be able to live in the heavens eternally. For in this tent, current body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. I want the heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not, catch this phrase, it's important. Not that we would be unclothed. I just want to be rid of the body. No, that's not what this is saying. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Watch verse 5. He who has prepared us. Christian, hear that. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. You are made for this thing, this building to come. Not for this tent. It is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So Jeff, remind us. So back in Romans 8, verse 18 and 19 is talking about when we become children of God, revealing of the sons of God. I believe it's verse 21, 22 is us longing to be revealed as the children of God. Listen carefully. If you're a Christian, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are right now a child of God, but your body has yet to be redeemed. Now, I need to hit something quickly. Based off of 2 Corinthians 5 and other passages like it, I know that some of you, like myself, you have loved ones who in this life put their faith in Jesus, but they have since died physically. And usually... Even the strongest of Christians, because we're close to them, our mind starts going, we've heard it a hundred times, but here's what we do, we've got to go over it one more time, and we start thinking, now what are they actually going through? Like, what are they experiencing now? 
What are they experiencing right now? So some of you think of your loved one. You say, I have a loved one. I know they put their faith and trust in Christ. What are they experiencing right now? I can confidently, based on Scripture, tell you two things. I can make two assertions. Number one, their spirit is with the Lord right now, basking in His presence. We call it heaven. Enjoying heaven. Worshiping the Lord And I would say it's better than here, but that doesn't do it. Paul in in Philippians chapter 1 says it is far better than what you're in. I can tell you that. But I want to shoot straight with you. You say, Jeff, you're going to make confidently two assertions. Yes, number one, their spirit is with the Lord. And then number two, I can tell you, they long for a body. Say, what? I thought it was like total satisfaction. They long for a body. They don't have it yet. Oh, they're way better than you. They're basking in the glory of God. They see. They know it's all real. It's not faith. It's not hope for them. I mean, it's sight. They're experiencing it. But they're longing for a body. Halverson helps us out here. He says, quote, that which we, this by the way, you say, I've never really thought of it that way. Listen. He says, that which we really long for is to have immortal bodies. Get this. We do not desire to be incorporeal creatures. That is to be bodiless ghosts. I don't think anyone here thinks, I just one day, I just want to kind of float around. I don't think that way. He is so right. He says, we don't want to be incorporeal creatures, bodiless ghosts or angels roaming the universe, aimlessly drifting. He's so right. This last, listen to this. Our desire is to have bodies that will perfectly serve the goals of our minds and hearts. Goals which are always beyond us, unquote. Why are they always beyond us? Because we're frustrated with sin and we get sick. You've been there. Some of you have been there. You've been filled with the Spirit. Man, you're ready to just take on the old, the old saying. You're ready to take on hell with a squirt gun. Couldn't be better. You're worshiping the Lord. Things could not be better. But your body's tired. Body's tired and weak. Or you feel fine physically. But sin is tempting you. You know what we want, Christian? You say, I want a body that doesn't drag me down anymore and does all the real goals. Paul says in Romans 7, I want this, but I find myself still doing that. Boy, if I could just get rid of this wretched body. Would you look back? Romans 5. See Romans, I'm uh, sorry, Romans 8. See verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for he who hopes. For who, who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Barclay helps us out here. Christian, care, listen carefully. The keynote, the keynote of the Christian life is always hope. Say, Jeff, boy, those first two points were real downers. The keynote of the Christian life is always hope. It is never despair. A Christian waits not for death but for life. Can I tell you something? Everything I said in the first two points are true, but I am not in the least bit depressed about this. I'm not going to crawl up in a defeatist ball and just, what, what are you doing? Uh, we, we're Christians. We're just kind of biding the time and we're just waiting to die. I am not doing that. I'm telling you, I'm, not, I'm walking out of here pumped today. Why? You say, Jeff, all these frustrations and things are going to happen. You're getting older. Dude, you just said it. You got all the signs. Life's going to get more and more frustrating. I get it. But I'm not going to just crawl up a ball in a, in a ball to die I'm waiting to live. I'm waiting to live. I'm going to live. This whole thing's going somewhere. And so, one more text. Would you go to 1 Corinthians 15? One of these years, maybe this one, we'll look at this at Easter. You say, Jeff, okay, got it. We want this body. We hope for it. Christian life's filled with hope. By the way, you uh, you Clemson fans, right? Quite a few of you right in the middle of football right now. I think yesterday was game six. You usually have 12 games. Regular season. Middle of the regular season. You guys are hoping to win the 2016 National Championship in football. And some of you just heard me say that. Think, well, either he just made a mistake or he doesn't know what year it is. Because what I said is, you Clemson fans are really hoping to win the 2016 National Championship in football, right? And you say, no, Jeff, we already got that one. You already got it. What Paul is saying in Romans 8, 24 and 25 is our salvation, our glorification is so sure we already have it. Romans 8, 30, Paul refers to it in the past tense. Those whom he justifies, he did that with me in 1979, he he has glorified. It's a done deal. 
Right now, I'm waiting, I'm hoping, but my hope is not a boy, I hope so. It's a confident expectation, I will receive that. By the way, hope is not eternal. Isn't that a phrase? I forget who it was. Hope springs eternal. Listen carefully. Hope is not eternal. Christians will not need hope. And the non-Christian will have no hope. Now abides faith, hope, and love. And love is the greatest because one day faith will will not need it anymore. We're going to see it. And one day we're not going to hope. Even our confident expectation, we're just waiting on it to happen. Those two will be gone, but love keeps on going and going. So there's no eternality in hope. So here's our last thought before I hit quick applications. Say, Jeff, oh, oh, oh. It's glorified body. Okay, you kind of got me there earlier. What is that like? What will that be like? Look at verse 35, 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 35. Paul says, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? There's a Christian here this morning. You have never read this passage. You need an eye opener. Verse 36. Paul says, not so much to you. He's really talking to the skeptical person. But he says, you foolish person. What you sow. He's going to use an agricultural analogy. By the way, your body is what's being sown. What, he's, what we refer to as putting someone in a grave or burning their body and, and putting it in, a, in a, a, a vase of ashes in a vase, that type of thing, he's calling sowing. He's referring to planting seed. So someone says, what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. That's exactly what a seed does. It goes in the ground, starts decomposing, and then life springs out. Verse 37. And what you sow is not the body that is to be. You say, so when we put these bodies in the ground, it's not these bodies. Hang on. It'll be these bodies, but it'll be nothing like these bodies. It's the same body. That's why I'm telling you, your loved one that has gone to be with the Lord, their spirit's there, but their body's still here for now. But their body at the rapture will go and they'll be reunited. They'll be a glorified body. That's what this is talking about. What you sow, verse 37, is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. He's trying to get the analogy. We're talking about seeds. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed, its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is a glory in this earthly body, but there's a glory, a different kind of glory of the heavenly body. Verse 41. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. Bringing it home, verse 42. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What kind of body? What is sown? That's the funeral. That's what's nearby in the grave. What is sown is perishable. What is raised, imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. Several people in this room right now, you are in the medical field. You guys know more about dishonor of the human body than I do. And those that are in the funeral business, we go and we say, oh, how great they look. But let's be honest, it's a lot of dishonor. Just, just, just dishonorable. We don't want to see that. We don't want to think about that. That's reality. Paul says, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. That's what goes in. That's why it's not the same. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So you say, Jeff, what's this glorified body? Watch, listen carefully. If, we had, if I had ten kinds of seed in my hand, each one different, you would not be able to look. And I mean, I'm not talking about a big acorn. I'm saying if there were ten little kinds of seeds that grow up to be trees, different kinds of trees, unless you're an absolute expert, which I don't think anyone in here is, you would not be able to look at that seed and project in your mind, catch this, the size and shape of the tree that it will become. You, you would never, if you've never seen a tree in your life, I use this idea at gravesides all the time and I'll continue to use it. If you look at a seed and you've never seen a tree, you would never look at that seed and say, oh, I know, I know what that, that's going to be a big old oak tree. What do you mean by that? And you picture some 80-foot tree. You'd never get it. Paul's point is, you cannot have any idea of what our glorified bodies will look like by looking at these present physical bodies. Say, so what's it going to be like? Looking at these, you can't tell anything from it. So you say, so what's the answer? I don't know. Paul doesn't tell us what it's like. He just tells us what it's not like. But it's real. 
And it's way better. It's coming. Christian is coming. So I leave you with these four thoughts. So Jeff, what's the application? In light of the groaning of the creation and the groaning of the Christian, Christian, listen carefully. Here's what I would implore you today. Enjoy the moments of beauty when they come. Say, now I'm liking this part. When you see beauty, enjoy it and give thanks for God. Do you do that? So much misery is around us. Listen, struggle and suffering and pain and heartache and death. It is coming. What I'm trying to tell you is when you see beauty, you better enjoy it in the moment and then bring God into the equation. That beauty may be your loved one laughing and they may say, and they're like, what are you staring at? Nothing. It just hit me. Oh, nothing. Carry on. Did I do something wrong? No. You just keep doing. God, thank you for that little moment. This morning, I had one of those little moments. It's about 6.30, and I came out, and all we had was a little microwave light on, and I could see a hue in our house. And we don't have a mansion by any means. Most of y'all, half of you have been there. But I'm sitting there thinking, thank you, God. It could be on a golf course. It could be at a lake. It could be up on the mountain. It could be in one of those little Adirondack chairs at the beach. But when you encounter beauty, what I'm telling you, squeeze everything out of it and bring God into it. Because there's plenty of the other to go around. Number two. Christian, verse, I'll read the verse in a moment. Write this thought. Say, Jeff, what would you tell us in light of the message? Renew your hope. Renew your hope. Say, we haven't seen it yet. That's why it's called hope. Christian, I want to encourage you. Renew your hope because there is a purpose. There is a purpose. I'm going to steal an idea from John Piper I heard this week. You got to get it. You ready? He says, imagine you're in a hospital room. You there? You're in a hospital room and you hear a woman moaning. And there's occasional shrieking. You hear it? She's moaning. And sometimes there's shrieking. He says, the way you view that sound depends on where you're at in the hospital. If you're on the cancer floor and you hear that moaning and shrieking in pain, it's way different than if you're on the maternity ward and you hear a woman moaning and shrieking in pain. Because the one, you're thinking, this isn't good. There's no hope. But the other, you're thinking, this finishes in life. This is going somewhere. Christian, you're in the maternity ward. You're in the maternity ward. We're not on the cancer floor. This thing's going to life. You say, it hurts. I know. But man, it's going somewhere. This is wonderful. We got hope. This means something. There's purpose. Sorry. Number three, based on that, I'll tell you this, eagerly long for your full redemption. Long for it. Want it. I want to, God, I want that body one day. Lord, I want to be faithful now. But Lord, this life's not easy and I sure do struggle with sin and I can't wait for the day when I have a body. I no longer have to apologize and repent and confess. Christians don't fall in love with this world. Long for that one. My last thought is this. So what's our action steps, Jeff? Squeeze everything out of those good moments when you can. Renew your hope because there is purpose. Long for the redemption of the body. But not last. Not least. Because of all that, share the message of hope with those who have none. Share the message of hope with those who have no hope. If you tune me out, you're going to miss a major point. Earlier, the text told us listen, creation's longing, waiting. Christians were longing and waiting. Listen, 
there's a group of people who are not longing with us. It's the unsaved. Why in the world would they long for the rapture? Why would they go with us there? They don't want the rapture. They don't want the judgment of the nations. They don't want the millennial kingdom to be revealed. They don't want the children of God to be made known. They don't want what Jesus calls the separating of the tares away from the real wheat. Because sometimes it's hard to tell whose tares, whose wheat. Jesus is going to make a dividing line. These are the real wheat. These are the ones who put their faith and trust in Jesus. These were just playing religion. They're not longing for what we're longing for. Listen carefully. For those who refuse, by the way, two groups of people need to hear this. Christians need to hear this because you know unsaved people and an unsaved person needs to hear what I'm about to tell you. I promise I'm about to tell you the truth. I'm getting ready to tell you the truth. Those who refuse Jesus as their Savior in this life, all they will have is this life with its emptiness, its frustration, its pain, its misery, its sin, and eventual death. That's the best they ever have to look forward to. More sobering than that is what I'm about to tell you. Their worst day here. Guys, I'm talking about the day that they honestly think about suicide. I mean, they really start planning it. This is so bad. It's been so long. I'm ready to... I'm, I'm, that day would be a welcomed escape from the eternal destruction that's coming. They love... I'm telling you, a time is coming. They're going to be in hell or the lake of fire and they would love to go back. Can I just go back and live that day I wanted to commit suicide? Can I do that one more time? Can I live that day over and over? That is so much better than this. They have nothing to look forward to. But there's still hope. And you live beside them and you work beside them. And you're related to them. Tell them while there's hope. There's hope. You don't have to go to hell. You say, how do I become a Christian? Will you admit that you're a sinner? This is real simple. God, I'm a sinner. But Lord, your word says if I put my faith in Jesus, I don't even know how to word my prayer, but I believe in what he did on the cross. You said it's enough, and Lord, I'm taking it. I receive the salvation. There's hope. That's it. That's all you do. That's all you do. Would you bow your heads? I'm curious. Having just said what I just said, I've got to ask you. I've got to ask you, are you absolutely certain when you die you'll go to heaven? And when you in your heart and soul say, yes, preacher, I I know I am, I've got to ask you, do you have a Bible reason? Because there's an event that is coming. There will be a revealing of the children. And it's real simple. Who put their faith and trust in Jesus? will be revealed as the children and those who just heard it over and over but never asked God to forgive them of their sins and never quite thought God was trustworthy and they never just launched out with their soul and their spirit and said, God, I'm going to give you all my sin. I have nothing to give you but my sin, but I'm going to take the Savior. I've heard it enough times now. Today is my day. God, today's my day, October the 8th. I'm putting my faith to trust in Jesus. I'm not playing any more games. I don't care who's, who thinks what about me. This is way too serious. I don't want to spend eternity wishing I could go back and live the worst day of my life again. So Jeff, how do I do it? Listen carefully. Start right now, right where you sit. God, God, I believe you're listening to me. I'm calling out to you. Lord, I'm a sinner. God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me, God. Please forgive me. Take him up on it right now. I'll give you a little verse. Tell him. Say, God, I can't quote it, but the preacher just said it. You said, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm doing it right now. I'm receiving Jesus as my Savior. Please save me. I receive you. I believe you're going to do it. Lord, you have to. Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And him that comes to me, I will not cast out. Come and ask me, he says. I've never told one person no. Not one person. You'll not be the first. Ask him right now. Block me out. Talk to God right now. God, I'm a sinner. I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus. I want that glorified life you've been talking about. Christian. Christian, be intentional. Enjoy the beauty when you see it. It fades. And give thanks. Christian, renew your hope. 
this is going somewhere. This leads to life. We're in the maternity ward. And in the meantime, long like crazy. Be faithful in this life, but long like crazy for that next life. Don't fall in love with this world. It'll let you down. And i got to ask you, who do you need to tell? What's their name? Who did God just put on your heart? Who did God just put on your heart? What's your excuse? Is that excuse that you're going to give yourself tomorrow not to tell them, is that going to fly when they leave this world? They may reject, but all you can do is tell them. You've got to tell them. Father, thank you for liberty to preach today. Thank you for letting my voice hold up like I ask you to. Lord, I have no idea what's going on in people's hearts and minds. Lord, if you you just drew someone to yourself in this audience this morning, or even in the future on a recording, God, I want to say thank you for using Grace View, and even somebody like me. Lord, let your word go out powerfully. Let us leave here victorious, giving thanks for the beautiful moments. Let us be filled with hope. Let us renew our hope. Let us be longing for that day. And God, please burden us with a specific person to share the hope we have. Would you stand today, Grace View?